Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Fire up for pro football. That's what we call a sack lunch. Nom, 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 nom. This is Football Sunday with Mike and Rashad. One kid, we play some competitive sports once in a while, wouldn't it? Oh, would that make you love me? Football Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Are we on the air? Is everything working? Is that good? Can you hear us now? I think we're okay. This has been an interesting couple of days here at the fan. Yeah, I've, I've been told, or I've, I've kind of heard a little bit. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> hi, we're on early today too, by the way. Oh yeah. Hey guys. 8 to 10 AM. So if you're not listening yet, we don't blame you, but we're on to, uh, eight till 10 today because the Seahawks have to buy, but, uh, we've had an interesting couple of days here at the fan with some, uh, technical issues and uh, some things got deleted and some things got moved and um, the board isn't working super great right now. And I'm sitting in Rashad's chair because the keyboard and mouse on that computer aren't working. So so I'm in the big boy chair. He's in the big boy here. chair, but he doesn't have a working computer. So I don't know what's what's worse. Um, I can actually look outside now, which is very rare for me. That's kind of nice. Right. This is why I'm, I'm always distracted during the show <laughs> because I'm constantly looking out there especially as it gets nicer and nicer well you know that's gonna change here soon but well hey it's getting brighter and brighter because waking up at 6 a.m this morning was a pitch blackout and very confusing to it me. was and it was pretty it was gray and you know all the fog and stuff like that that's the one thing i don't miss about getting up early remember when the show was always you know eight to ten uh eight to nine thirty it, it was eight to nine thirty yeah. at a point but then they decided to bless us with that extra uh, half hour. Oh know? yeah, the so, extra thirty minutes. Oh yeah, but, the golden uh, half hour, which helped out because it gave us an, opp- an opportunity to do like hate it or love it, and you know some of the some of those other things that we kind of like to do. But yeah, that 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 was brutal at a point. But then we used to have to get here at seven to to do prep for you know about an hour for the show. Yeah, but now we're professionals and yeah. Now do we now prep we even? It. No, we we do the Isaac and Suk model now. We come in, we chat for like two minutes, and then we go. That's why they're number one, man. Exactly. That's why they're number one. It's called improvisation. I think that's how you say it, at least. Yeah. yeah. Improvisation, improvisation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, the, it's the same either way. Um, but, yeah, so we've had a very interesting couple of days. So if you are here, any technical issues, um, just just know that it's been par for the course the last few days, and we're working on it, and it's crazy, and it's all behind-the-scenes craziness. But, hey, we're here, we're on the air, and we have two hours of football for you. The – Biggest thing I want to do first is I'm going to say this for all of us, all three of us, as well as all the listeners. I want to keep fantasy scramble at 930 because for people tuning in at the normal time to listen to the show, they expect their fantasy answers at 930. So we'll switch the show around a little bit. I'm going to put hate it or love it at 915. If that's okay with you guys. Look at that. Jesse, is that okay with you? Cool. He looks annoyed because the. The stuff is. I would be too, man. (laughs) I would be too. Like I remember how uh, when I talked to you right before football, it's like, "Hey, man, what's going on?" Ugh, 
did you hear we had dead air for like an hour? It's like, I did not hear that part. So I can imagine Jesse's frustration right now as well. I'm glad I don't have to touch those buttons. Well, he day. gave he gave me a thumbs up. So 915, hate it or love it. We'll do West Coast Bias in the first hour here. You want to do it at 830? We can do it. Let's just do a free for all. Let's just, just, you know. All right, cool. Let's just let Jesse play the music, and then that's what we're going to do at that point. Okay. How about that? And Jesse has to now move all the music over yeah, so because Jesse it all put, got moved from so, the deleted so range. Yeah, we're gonna make it real easy for him. Just put the put put the music wherever you want, and then we'll just kind of go <laughs> off of that. So that is true. Yeah, we'll so just do that. We'll we'll do kind of a free flowing show up until nine fifteen. Then we'll do hate it or love it, fantasy scramble to wrap the show up the last forty five minutes. So if you're listening now, hi, thank you, appreciate you, and uh, send your fantasy football questions into the Better You Today text line at five five three zero five, and we'll get to them at nine thirty. And uh, lots of NFL and college to get to as well. Um, but I want to start, as always, with the Ducks game and just the weekend in the Pac-12 and college football. But we'll start with the Ducks game because that was the the biggest game of the week here locally and also the most disappointing game. Well, maybe the Beavers were more disappointing, but we'll the, get to that. Yeah, the Beavers were definitely more disappointing. But a very, very disappointing loss for the Oregon Ducks to the Washington State Cougars. And... Oregon made it close. They made it interesting. But the problem was absolutely getting shut out in the first half is not how you win a game in Pullman against the Cougs. 34-20 final score. Washington State wins. Oregon outscored them 20-7 to in the second half, but it wasn't enough. And I guess let's just start with the first half because that's where it all fell apart for the Ducks. And they didn't score. And they had no offensive consistency at all. And they had nothing working at all. On their first drive, they fumbled two snaps back to back, and it was it, that was the sign of, uh oh, yeah, it's going to be one of those days. It reminded me of the Broncos Seahawks Super Bowl. Yeah, it, it reminded me of the Stanford game. You know, it was a lot of mental mistakes for the Ducks early in the game that kind of you know eventually end up costing them in that game. So that's kind of what it reminded me of real early, and you just saw that. I don't know where I think they might have been really riding high still off of the Washington win, you know, maybe forgot that, you know, Washington state is not the Washington state of old, you know, they're not cooking it anymore. You know, this is a team that's incredibly competitive in the PAC 12 North and they just continue to show and they continue to show it. And last night was a dominant performance in the first half. Like the, I, 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 the ducks hadn't been shut out since, uh, 2013, and that was against Stanford. And I don't know if they came back and won that game. I can't remember if that was the, the same game I'm thinking about, but it's been, you know, five years since they haven't scored any points in the first half. So this wasn't a great a, a great week. And mind you, they, they did come back and they did get much more competitive in the second half and, you know, kind of outscored the Cougs at that point. But it, it was just – it was too late. You know, the, the Cougs had made all the right plays um, during the first half. And at that point, when you're playing catch-up, like, all you got to do is kind of – control the ball well and we got we, we'll we'll get into this more next segment in, in terms of the entire strategy of the game but it honestly felt like washington state just never was on defense they're on offense the entire first half and gardner Minshew was just completing passes left and right and left and right and the ducks defense honestly it didn't change all too much until the second half to stop it because they were just doing the underneath crossing routes all day. That was it. It was literally it, and they kept putting soft coverage on them, and they just kept taking it. There was nothing they could do. Oh, and the Ducks couldn't tackle because every running back that Washington State put in there, Williams and Borgie and, and anybody else they used, 
broke every tackle it felt like. Yeah, well, It was a horrific defensive effort. That last, and I, I, I was at the Blazer game last night, so I didn't get a chance to see the entire game. But uh, the last touchdown I saw scored for Washington State was to the running back, you know, kind of a, a little uh, th- throw to the running back, and he completely burnt the, the corner right there. Not even burnt him. Like, had him, the corner had him ripped, uh, wrapped up, but yet still he was able to kind of just trot in for the touchdown. You know, tackling has become a huge, huge issue. And not just Oregon. I keep saying this. This is a Pac-12 issue. You know, tackling was a big issue for Washington when they played Auburn. You know, tackling uh, was a big issue for Oregon when they played against Stanford a few weeks ago. You know, tackling downfield. Like, front four is typically good. You know, for Oregon, they have been much improved over the past few years. But they just can't tackle downfield. And that's become a huge problem because now you know those corners and safeties aren't going to give you much help once they get past your front seven. Absolutely. And the the one run was the first touchdown run where they had him down to rights, three or four different guys, and he spun out of all of them and booked it to the end zone. That was on that trick play where they had the guy snapping the ball from the right side of the field mm-hmm. and snapped it back in towards the middle. And Oregon had it pretty well covered. They kind of knew what was happening because he bounced it back the opposite way, just couldn't tackle him. And we saw all throughout the game, even from guys like Troy Dye, who's their best tackler, they kind of did the checkup and see what where the guy was going to go on the Cougs and then got juked out of their shoes. Or they just dove too low and too early. It, it kind of, I mean, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a former football player or anything, but just watching it a lot, it kind of felt like a back to the basics moment. Like learn how to go in and wrap up and stop just trying to guess where he's going to go. And I was actually going to say that. So I was at the Central Catholic Barlow game this past Friday night, which was an awesome football game. A lot of scoring going on in that game. But I was talking to, I believe, the principal from Barlow, and it's crazy that, you know, they're not allowed to really practice tackling anymore in practices in high school. So really where are you learning the basics as far as how to wrap up and take people down? So no wonder they get to the NFL and you get these really explosive hits because they've never really been trained on how to tackle properly. And so now you're in the NFL, or excuse me, in college football, and you're just trying to push guys down. You're trying to give them little shoulder jabs just to make sure that they kind of go down the ground, and that's just not the way you do it. And I wonder how much of high school football changing the rules and changing uh, the way they practice has really changed the way these young kids and these professionals are tackling. It might be the case. So text us your thoughts on the game to the better you today. Text line five, five, three, zero five. We'll get to some of those next and wrap up our thoughts on that. Plus spin it over into uh, Oregon state's loss to Cal and some other Pac-12 and college football nuggets. That's all next here on football Sunday on 10 to the fan. Football Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Eight seventeen here on your Sunday morning. This is a new song. Well, it's not. It was somewhere in the rotator that I guess wasn't playing. So it's oh, back yeah. because I found all the stuff that was needed to be moved. Oh, felt like we didn't have a lot, but, you know. Yeah, we had maybe like 30, 25 songs or something. But at some point, some of them got removed or didn't get copied over or something. And 
to get rid of all the technical stuff, they deleted a bunch of clips that were mandatory for us to delete, and we had to individually move them over. So we found some new stuff. <laughs> That's good. That's tight. Um, but anyway, text the better you today. Text line 55305. Remember Fantasy Scramble coming up at 930, still same time as per usual. So text any questions you have there also to 55305. But Oregon loses to Washington State in Pullman, 34-20. to 20. And this text came in. You could clearly tell Oregon was missing their mammoth of an O-lineman to help protect Herbert. Um, yes, uh, Penny Sewell out for six weeks with a high ankle sprain. Pretty big deal for him, especially because he's a true freshman. He's been playing absolutely dominant on the offensive line so far for Oregon. Uh, I don't know if you could fully tell he was missing. I think more in the run game you could tell because Herbert, he did get pressured a lot more, but he still evaded pressure pretty effectively. Um, a couple of times he got hit when he threw, but it it didn't force an interception or anything like that. It wasn't the end of the world. But the in general, the running game wasn't there for the Ducks. They weren't able to, to get through holes. And I'm not sure. I'm curious about Washington State's defense where they move the defensive line before every snap. I don't know if you noticed that. They they shift every snap on, on defense, almost as an, an attempt to try to draw an, a, a false start or as just a way to confuse the offensive lines coverages and, and all that kind of stuff but maybe that had something to do with the running game not getting going either was the fact that their defensive line was playing really well well that and the fact they only have they only had 24 attempts running the ball you know they were I, down big early you know they so. were there they when whenever you get down early exactly what are you going to do you're going to go to the air you're going to try to get points on the board quickly and the quickest way to do that is by passing the ball and when you have a run game that's not really working and you're you're C.J. Verdell has only given you 55 yards on 12 touches, which, I mean, and one of those was, was uh, I think one of those was like a long, what, 17, 20-yard run, something like that. that 20 yards was his out. long yeah. run, yeah. So, so and Basically 11 for 35. You, where's so the, a three-yard average on no carries. The, the one thing we're so used to seeing with the Oregon Ducks are multiple running backs. It's never just Royce Freeman, you know. Then you, you had uh, last year, it was um, – What's my guy's name? Um, um, Tony Brooks James that yep. was able to kind of, you know, hold it down for him. You know, when you have a LaMichael James, uh, you also have a Kenyon Barner, you know, somebody to kind of take the, the pressure off of him. Like, who's that other guy right now for the Oregon Ducks? So, well, to be fair, Brooks James has been injured and, ineff and ineffective. Yeah. And so, but so it's been still. Verdell, but they have Travis Dye coming in. He's played well in, in spurts, but he played really poorly yesterday. Negative four yards on three carries. But you're right. I mean, they were down. Yeah. At, at a certain point in the game, they stopped running the football more than just to keep some balance because they were down by 27 points at halftime. And Herbert wound up with 44 pass attempts and Minshew only had 51. So and Washington State knew that they had to throw in the second half to be able to get back in this game. And so they did a really good job of, you know, Dylan Mitchell. He had seven catches, but he only had 49 yards. Right. So 47, 40, 47 yeah. yards. So it wasn't like he had the monster game that we were expecting him to have especially after the few weeks that he's had well and, and let's remember we got to give washington state some credit here too a the atmosphere there for game day was exceptional oh my gosh that one in the game right there like that right there was i never seen anything like that the they showed a picture or kirk herbstreet tweeted out a picture or a video excuse me from their set at 5 a.m in the morning before they went on the air live and i want to say it was thirty thousand people deep just screaming for Wazoo. And, I mean, we all know, or if you don't know, Pullman had never had game day before. 
And for 10 years, every single game day that is on ESPN, someone has a Wazoo flag and waves it in the background. They finally bring game day to Wazoo. And Patrick from the Hot Corner with me on Wednesdays went up. He's a Wazoo grad. And he was saying they were, they were expect, they put a state of emergency in Pullman. They were expecting like 60,000 people there or more. And that stadium was loud and the atmosphere was crazy. And got to give credit to the Wazoo fans because that was an incredible atmosphere and made it really tough on Oregon, especially early with the bad snaps and the false starts. And you know what, man? <clears throat> we banged on Washington State for years. You know, I've been here now for four years and three of those years where we were talking about them cooking it, man. Washington State deserves this. You know, they've been one of those teams over the past few years that's been uh, trying to really change the culture and of, of winning that they have there. And it's it's really worked, man. You, you've had a couple of really good quarterbacks over the past couple of years that have known how to put up a whole bunch of points. And now you're in a position, you're 6-1 and one in the Pac-12. I believe you lead the Pac-12 North yep. right now. So you're in a, a great position. It, it feels like the 1990s all over again because Washington State is is great again and Washington is great again and Oregon looks like you know amid last night's game they look like they're back to where they should be and you look at the the way Cal has kind of tried to to turn things around there it looks like the Pac-12 is kind of making a a bit of Utah you know another team that we don't really an absolutely dominant win over USC and we don't talk about Utah because I still think people forget that Utah and Colorado are part of the Pac-10 now, you know, so we they've got some some awesome awesome teams here in the Pac-12 now. If they can just figure out how to tackle, I think they would get the same respect that the ACC, uh, Big 12, and SEC get. Well, and for Washington State, six and one, they beat number 12 Oregon, and they were ranked number 25, so they will shoot up the rankings a little bit. We saw some other top teams lose, so that'll help as well. But still have Stanford on the road. That's uh, next week, by the way. Still have Washington in the Apple Cup, and they still have Colorado, who's actually been good this year, plus Cal and Arizona, which which should be wins conceivably, although we've seen Washington State lose worse. Their one loss is to USC, 39-36, in a game they should not have lost. If you remember that game, they were up, mm-hmm. and USC came back late with a couple of touchdowns to win that game, and people said the Cougs cooged it, and others were just saying, well, USC out-talented them at the end, which you could kind of see in that game, which I believe more of the latter. Washington State was just gassed because of USC's talent on defense especially and just couldn't keep up at the end. They're one poor quarter away from being 7-0 and right now, and they're not getting any love. And I, I think this win for, for Wazoo will certainly help them start to get some love. They'll push up the rankings. They'll get recognized a little bit more. Minshew's playing great football. Um, and, hell, Mike Leach hasn't run the football all year, and he ran the football 24 times this game and actually got good – production out of his running backs too so he's a great coach still even though he's goofy old mike leach he's still a great coach knows what he's doing give wazoo some some love on this no they they definitely deserve some love um possibly even some some national love you know we'll see you know you win the pac-12 which is still a a power conference then you should be in in good shape as far as you know maybe how the the playoff committee sees you now they probably won't go they're not going to be one of those top four teams or even even a top six team, I think, even if they win the Pac-12. I don't really think they're going to be a, a top six team with one loss, you know. So uh, you've got to be – you've got to love the way they play. But how about this? Like, Apple Cup coming up, it's just not a foregone conclusion. Well, Washington's going to win. I think – A I lot think can change. A lot can but... change, yeah. But, I mean, you just forecasting three weeks from now, 
if you were to say right now, who's a better team, Washington or Washington State? Like, I, I don't know. I think I'd be inclined. To no, say I think Washington Wazoo's the better State. team yeah. right now. Yeah, for sure. Washington played a tough game against Colorado. Good team too. In the Pac-12 South, had only had one loss at that point. Granted, they've played nobody, but only had one loss at that point. And uh, Washington won it, but it was a closer game, and their offense just doesn't look that good. You're right. Washington State could win that game. However, for the last two years, we thought Washington State could win that game, and Washington has absolutely blown them to smithereens in that game. So there's a little bit of a mental aspect of that, too. All right, before we break, I want to quickly get into Oregon State. It's it, it just sucks because people thought this could be the game Oregon State could win because you looked on the schedule – you didn't really see any wins left for the Bees. They have one, and you were like, well, another 1-11 season. But coming off a of bye week, Oregon State, playing Cal, who up until this point had lost their last three games and also had been outscored, if I want to do quick math, 66, 96, 106 to like 40. Cal had been outscored in those three losses to Oregon, Arizona, and UCLA and are not coming off a of bye you think, well, Oregon State has a chance to win this game because Oregon State's offense has been very good this year. And if they could jump out early, maybe it could give their defense enough room to kind of hold off a Cal offensive attack. Uh, the exact opposite happened. In fact, as Oregon State didn't score in the first half, they were down 21 nothing. They were down 28 or 27 nothing at one point. And uh, it just got worse from there. And I just don't know what to say at this point outside of, they're not going to win another game. This was the game, and they're not going to win another game. Uh, there's, I, You said it. Like, I mean, honestly, there's, there was nothing else on their schedule that says, okay, this will be, again, good game for them. Now, Colorado, USC, Stanford, Washington, Oregon. Now there Those might are be some, some of the best teams left in the conference, and they play them back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back. Now, there might be some miracle on ice stuff that happens you know, over the next, you know, three weeks for the, for the Beavs to where they come out there and completely bash one of these ranked teams that they're about to play. I don't see it happening. You know, you're looking at a team that can't that can't stop anybody from scoring. Like I don't know, and I don't and forgive me, I don't have their schedule in front of me, but I don't know if anybody has not scored at least 49 points on the Beavs this year. You know, I'm at least somewhere around there, at least 42. They're giving up big numbers. Uh they gave up 25 to Southern Utah in a win. They won. They won that one. Okay, so in the gave up 37 in Nevada in the loss and 35 to Arizona in the loss and then 52, 56 and 49. So, so they haven't, if we excluding their win against an FCS opponent, they haven't given up fewer than thirty-five points. Okay, that's so, bad. Yeah, that's 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 soup's, pretty bad. Soup's you bad. Know? Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know, man. I, I but yet and still, there's still a bit of like, well, next year they're gonna do this. Like I don't know why there's still well, that, there's hope. There's yeah. still that glimmer of hope for, for Oregon State because even though they're one and six and zero and four in the Pac-12, you still look at that and go. Yeah, but there's some games where they put up X amount of points, and I think they can do this. And if they get in some more offensive linemen, if they get some some more skill players, and all of a sudden, like, so it's weird. Even the, I didn't feel like that under Gary Anderson. You know that that wasn't a feeling that that you had as, as far as man. The three losses or three wins that they had, you're looking like oh, another one of those Oregon State seasons. With one win, I'm sitting here going, well, maybe next year, possibly they'll be better. Like, I don't know, man. There's there's still like I said, the glimmer of hope that Oregon State's going to be better and as bad as they've been we've seen better offensively um not last night but you know you've seen better offensively you haven't seen anything on defense and maybe next year is where they take that leap defensively and then they're more of a balanced team 
Uh, we can only hope. It's that's, not like their the defensive hope. coordinator is bad. Tim Tibisar has a history of being a solid coordinator and coach defensively coming over from uh, from Wisconsin. And I think he came over from Nebraska, too. might have just been Wisconsin. But sometimes you're just undermanned on defense. And sometimes you just have to deal with one or two years of iffy defense to get those guys to mature. A lot of young guys on that defense. And plus the recruiting needs to improve, obviously. There's been a lot of bad recruiting years under Gary Anderson recently before uh, Jonathan Smith came in. And he needs to start getting those defenders in now to try to maybe next year or the year after get that defense to be to a solid Pac-12 ability, if you will. All right, let's break. Coming up next, let's switch gears to the NFL. Uh, Not sure exactly where yet, but we'll figure it out. Here's Jesse with SportsCenter. Football Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Hey, quick audible. Audible, tenant! I want to talk about the Justin Herbert news because I saw it come across my phone. And uh, we'll get to the NFL coming up next. But uh, I want to get to the Justin Herbert news here. And we saw this come across on Bleacher Report, and it's from Jason Lock and Four on CBS Sports. Now, I'm going to say this and be perfectly clear. I think Jason Lock and Fora gets it wrong more often than not, but he still has sources. He is still obviously employed as a insider for a reason, but just in my personal opinion, take this with a grain of salt because he tends to get things wrong, but he is reporting that Justin Herbert is more likely to return than test the NFL waters next year. And part we've, we've kind of heard the rumors about that because his brother, Patrick Herbert, who plays at Sheldon, is going to go to Oregon next year as a freshman tight end, and he kind of wants to play with his brother. We've heard that. We've also always kind of known Justin Herbert as a quiet personality, as a guy who doesn't necessarily seem to seek out the spotlight, and leaving early for the NFL would fall into that category for me, for me seeking out the spotlight. But to me, this this would be a huge, huge risk and a potential big mistake for Herbert if he doesn't go to the NFL this year. He is going to be the number one or number two pick in this year's draft. He just is going to be. And that is a ton of money to potentially give up by coming back. We've seen multiple quarterbacks decide to come back and lose money the next year by falling in the draft with worse performance or getting injured. Sam Bradford is one. Matt Barkley is one. I think Matt Leinart is one. All these guys came back for an extra year, and they all fell in the draft because they had a worse season and they got or they got hurt. So because of that, I think Herbert needs to just go to the NFL now. He will get drafted in the top three, likely number one, and he will make boatloads of money. And I also think he's ready for it. So I understand the appeal of coming back. Maybe you want to see the next step in the Oregon evolution again as Mario Cristobal continues to recruit well and build this team and 
get more players and maybe you want to play with your brother. Maybe you don't want to leave Eugene just yet because it's where you grew up and spent your whole life. But to me, go to the NFL, Justin. Just do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I think it's a they're good ideas and they're bad ideas. Um, this is a bad idea. Like, if you know that your stock is as high as it is, man, you sell high. And that's exactly what Herbert needs to do. There's really nothing else you can prove at this point short of winning a national championship. And I think, you know, we all think that the Ducks have improved, but there's still too many holes to consider them uh, one of the top five or six programs in college football right now. So with his brother coming in, that's about your only upside to be able to say, hey, I got a chance to play with my brother for a year. But again, in doing so, you're putting yourself in a position to where, man, there might there's going to be another guy next year. You know, there's there's always another dude who throws himself in the mitch. Some guy that goes to the Derek Zoolander mm. uh, school for kids who can't read good is going to be uh, considered a, a top pick uh, in next year's NFL draft. Quickly, just better you today text line. Police got me. Yes, uh, Bradford did go number one. That was not to us. I was thinking of Leinart and Barkley. Sorry, not Bradford. Um, continue. No, he went, no, he no, went number sorry. one overall. Yeah, so. but again, you look at Matt Leinart, you know, win the Heisman Trophy, could have gone that year, would have been the number one overall pick, decided to stay for an additional year. You know, Matt Barkley, again, somebody he should have left after his junior year, would have been a number one pick. Who does Matt Barkley play for right now? Like, I don't know. I can't even, I can't, I don't even know. I don't think, he might not even be in the league anymore. <laughs> Let's yes, see where he is you know. right now. I, um, he is a free agent quarterback currently. The way he went I, in the fourth round, by the way, Matt Barkley did, after going coming back to USC for a year. And, and Matt Barkley, though, I, 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 Matt Barkley coming back that next year, there was a lot of, well, this guy doesn't have the physical tools to get the job done. I don't see that happening with a guy like Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert, all he's done is raised his stock after coming into the season, considered to be the top quarterback prospect going into the NFL draft. This is the way I look at it. One, there's just – I don't see him dropping out of the top two rounds. I, honestly, I don't see him dropping out of the top round if he comes back outside of some catastrophic injury, all right? Um, which he has had which, one – not catastrophic, but, but one fairly serious injury already in his career. You think about Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen at UCLA, I believe it was his sophomore season, suffered a shoulder injury. People thought he was never going to play again. Now that it, it's working out for him. Um, but obviously there is major risk as to how much money you can lose coming back for your senior season. I think ultimately this kid's going to make a lot of money no matter what, whether he comes back and he drops a little bit or whether he comes out and he goes in the top five picks, which is probably what'll happen. This is not a big QB needy year for teams. Not a lot of teams need a quarterback right now. The New York Giants the do. Ones that the, are... the New York Giants do, and there are some nice pieces there, but there isn't an offensive line there. The, there are advantages to slipping in the draft, a la Aaron Rodgers, sitting behind, being a good, being on a good team with good assets, getting some time to learn an offense. Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Patrick Mahomes. There are a lot of, of good examples of a guy that comes in, has talent, has a, the ability to acclimate to the position. When I look at it, Justin Herbert, he's going, man, the best players on my roster are young. This offensive line, the best players are freshmen. Like, think about how good this offensive line is going to be. Think about this uh, this 
rookie or I keep thinking of this as like an NFL team, but this recruiting class that's coming in next year, Mario Cristobal's hitting it out of the park. There are a lot of reasons why you could see a kid wanting to return. One of those being maybe he just loves being a college quarterback. I know last week I talked to you hearsay about a Joey Harrington interview that that I heard, you know, years ago about how he always wanted he dreamt of being um, a great college quarterback. When he was a kid, he didn't dream of being an NFL quarterback. It was being a great college quarterback. So some people's priorities are different. Maybe Herbert just wants to know and enjoys being what it's like to be a winning quarterback. Well, and college. that's why I say I understand his reasons for wanting to stay. I do. But I just – I wouldn't risk it. I think the risk is so high, and it is – it's almost safer – to go into the NFL because you know you're going to get drafted high and make a lot of money. And it's just a very risky move. It could all work out. He could stay healthy. He can have a better year. He can get to a better situation than the Giants, although they have a good situation minus the line. But he could get to a better situation the following year. He could lead Oregon to a college football playoff. He could win a Heisman. All these things are possible if he returns. But he could also break his leg in the first game and miss the entire year and fall to the fourth round due to injury concerns. And that, to me, is not worth it. However, I would not blame him for coming back to Oregon. I just think it's not the right move for him. Because, and Jesse's right, this is not a great year for teams that need quarterbacks. But it's also not the best year for quarterbacks coming out of the college football scene. There's a couple of good guys out there at the top. But the one who looks the most NFL ready to me out of all of them is Justin Herbert. He is so accurate with the football. And he he missed some throws yesterday. Everybody does. But there were a couple of examples last night in the game where – the pinpoint accuracy running to the right, getting the ball to Dylan Mitchell on the sideline right out of the reach of the, of the fingertips of the wazoo corner. Uh, there was another one. I think it was a lob into the end zone or it was somewhere near the red zone. I can't remember exactly. Apologies for forgetting, but another pass where I just kind of sat up and went, wow, that's an NFL throw. Oh, it was in the red zone and he threw to the back hip of Brendan schooler because he saw the safety was leading forward towards the middle of the field. And the only place that only schooler could catch it was on his back hip. And he threw it there. Schooler caught it first down in the red zone. That was the one I was thinking of that kind of throw. I'm like, wow, he's ready for the NFL. And here's the thing. He's mobile enough that he could also escape some pressure on a bad giants offensive line. Again, I'm just assuming the giants are the team that drafts him, but that obviously could change and still be able to escape. Now, there's negatives to that, of course, too. There's, you could always be a, a poo-pooer of any of these opinions. But that's why, to me, I think he should go now because he is the most NFL-ready of all the guys that would go into this year's draft. Yeah, and I just, you know, I think you want to bet on yourself at this point. You know, you you can stay in college for another year, and a multitude of things can happen. And it doesn't even have to include him getting hurt. Just someone else emerges as the uh, the number one pick. Or more than that, man, team needs change. You know, maybe the the what the number one team that's drafting man they maybe don't need a quarterback maybe they need a running back maybe they need an offensive lineman and then all of a sudden man you're moving further and further down the draft board just because well we don't really need like you said jesse most teams have their quarterback even some of the bad teams already are pretty much locked up at the quarterback position we know the teams that are going to be at the top of the draft this year are going to need a quarterback and so it's like if you don't come out this time you're again you might be in a situation and herbert might not mind but there's a lot of there's a big difference between number one to top five money to 
top, you know, top 30 money, you know, yeah. but top 32 money. There's a there's a big difference. And so if that doesn't matter to Herbert, all good, you know, but you run a huge risk. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with him being hurt, but just like I said, team needs typically change during the during the course of a year. Uh, we did get this text in the Better You Today text line 55305. Jake Locker is a perfect example as well. Great example. I was going to use Locker. Locker projected as the number one overall pick in 2010, decides to stay one more year at Washington. Granted, only falls to number, uh, where did he get drafted? Eighth eighth overall. And it's not a huge fall, but the amount of money you lose in that. And he also didn't have the best season at Washington. He what? wasn't a good quarterback. Well, I know, but that's what I'm saying. That's is, the difference, though, is, is Justin Herbert is a good quarterback. When you watch Locker, you never went, oh, my God, those are NFL throws left and right. When, you, In fact, honestly, as much as I loved Marcus Mariota, I never said that when I watched Marcus Mariota. When I watched Justin Herbert, I go, oh, my God, those are NFL throws left and right. This guy is probably legit the best quarterback prospect Oregon will put into the NFL since Joey Harrington. And, and he is legit an NFL caliber quarterback, not a great college quarterback. And, and you think about it, he, he might actually be looking for his future. You think about how many quarterbacks have come in, top prospects, but they end up behind lines like the Houston Texans offensive line, David Carr, or you end up behind, uh, I don't know, maybe you do end up behind the New York Giants uh line which i don't know maybe you've seen this year that it is trash and you go has been for a while uh, this that has ruined more more quarterbacks than quarterbacks have overcome bad offensive lines so when you think about it there are a lot of reasons like yes maybe up front you lose a little bit of money but maybe your career extends quite a bit longer because you're not playing behind an offensive line like joey harrington did and he was ran out of detroit yeah but if you get picked high if he's if, if he comes back and goes high in the next year that team's probably going to have a bad offensive line too. It, I mean, yeah. it's it's more likely than not they're a bad team for a reason. He's going to be in a bad situation. He's going to be the savior of whatever team he gets drafted by. I mean, well, once again, you guys are saying, well, what if he falls? Well, if he falls, once again, I argue that that could very well benefit his career in the long run as, yes, you lose money up front, but if you get picked in the teens, we mentioned Patrick Mahomes, you end up in a better situation, a more well-rounded team to help your career in the long run as opposed to you just get shell-shocked being sacked 60 times in a season. Uh, text your thoughts to the Better You Today text line 55305. Coming up next, we saw a trade in the NFL this week. Carlos Hyde on the move again. That's next here on Football Sunday on The Fan. Football Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Had a mid-season trade this week in the NFL, one that literally nobody saw coming as the Cleveland Browns will send running back Carlos Hyde, who they just acquired this year, uh, to Jacksonville for a fifth-round pick. Now, there's a lot of tentacles to this that we could get to, but the first thing that I thought of was... This means Leonard Fournette's injury is worse than we thought because Leonard Fournette was out indefinitely with his hamstring injury and they signed Jamal Charles and obviously he's not super great anymore and he's not playing very well and TJ Eldon keeps getting banged up so they have no running back. Um, but so they trade Car- trade for Carlos Hyde who by the way isn't playing yet because he just got traded. He's not going to he's not even active this week. 
And But then we see reports that Leonard Fournette is going to be back in a couple weeks after the bye. And I'm sitting here going, wait, what? So why did you trade for Carlos Hyde? And then we saw a report that this was more of like a two- or three-year plan to bring in Carlos Hyde. But I'm sitting here going, you have a number one back in Leonard Fournette. So I'm very, very confused by this trade because my first thought was Leonard Fournette's going to be out for a while. You get Carlos Hyde for the rest of the year, and then you make a decision end of the year what you're going to do. But that doesn't seem to be the case. So why do you need – I mean, sure, you can stack talent, I suppose, have more number one backs, but it just seems like a waste of a trade if you're not going to use him as, as the lead back. Hyde needs to be the bell cow guy to be successful. Yeah. Uh, it was it was surprising. I mean, it looks like it was a – it looked like it was a good move for – because whenever you get a guy like Carlos Hyde uh, in your backfield, that's, that's a win for your team. But – you wonder what the long-term plan is in Jacksonville at this point. Now, maybe this is something to make sure that you can uh, take more pressure off of Blake Bortles because if you don't have a great run game, that means you're going to be throwing it through the air. And while Bortles has not the same Blake Bortles that we remember, I still don't want him throwing the ball, you know, 35 times a game. So at least having Carlos Hyde in there kind of helps you out. I'm not sure what the Browns want with the fifth-round pick, though. Like – you know, that's that's the confusing part. It's like the Browns seem like they've been all season. They've been doing weird things, just like getting rid of their, you know, I'm not going to say their best players, but Corey Coleman, okay, he's been cut by everybody since he's been gone. Okay, that's no problem. You let, you let go of, um, after all the weed and everything for Josh Gordon, you let go of him because he was – hurt or had a had his hamstring thing okay well and had a weird like his didn't go through the team didn't for media availability yeah. or something so so you let josh gordon go and then it seemed seemingly you just give away carlos hyde for a fifth round pick like i mean i mean for, for being honest man that fifth round pick let's first first and second first through third round picks are meant to be that means you're going to be an impact player they expect you to play soon and really cause some type of change for their for the team fourth fifth round Sixth, uh, you're trying to get on the team. You're trying to just really make the team. Seventh round, probably not at all. You know, so what are you going to do with the fifth round pick over for a guy like I feel like you didn't get the value you should have for Hyde. So that's weird, but it works out for, I mean, if nothing else, you've got the rest of the season. You have at least a two, maybe three-headed monster coming out of the backfield because now Yeldon probably won't be as banged up, and you can use him in certain packages. You can use Hyde in certain packages, and now Fournette can be just your bruiser if that's what you want. Well, and clear, and maybe it is a reason too to keep Fournette healthy, just give him less work because he's he's shown to be banged up a little bit as early in his career. But for Cleveland, I understand the reasoning behind trading him. You're right; the value of the fifth round pick's not great, but it's tough to get good value for trades in the middle of the season. Teams, if you see a bigger player traded at this point in the season, it's almost always for a fifth, sixth, or seventh round pick, mm-hmm. and you're, it it the value doesn't add up. But for the Browns right now, what I see is Nick Chubb the last two weeks has outperformed Carlos Hyde in limited carries and Duke Johnson's barely been involved in the offense. And he has been huge for the Browns offensively in their really bad years. The last few years, he's been one of their only bright spots and it gives them a chance to go to them. Now it makes me question bringing in Hyde at all in the first place. If you were planning on doing this in in the long run and, and Hyde granted Hyde has not have the, had the best couple of weeks. He low yards per carry, had a lot of touchdowns early in the year, but hasn't been exactly explosive. And remember, he was hurt in San Francisco, which is part of the reason they let him go, because he was never fully the same after his injury. But I understand wanting to give Nick Chubb some time. He's looked great. 
Chubb yeah. looked really, really good in, in, in limited work, and I understand it. And I guess you're just going to stockpile picks because you want to keep drafting and then getting rid of players every other round? I don't know. That, I, again, I don't, sure. I don't understand that aspect I, of it, but I understand giving Nick Chubb time. I'm not sure what the Browns' um, philosophy is behind this trade, but luckily the Browns aren't as terrible as – I mean, really, they should probably be like 4-2 and two at this point, you know, some – some really silly losses, some bad kicking, some other stuff. The Browns should probably be in probably be in much better position than they're in. So I think you you want to give them the benefit of the doubt right now, but then they do something weird like that, and it's kind of the really Browns thing to do. So I don't know. I, th- I think for, I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve judgment for right now because who knows that fifth round pick should could be a Shaquem uh, Griffin or something like that. You know, in in the future, you know, you could get a, a steal out of nowhere for that fifth round pick. So we we don't know yet. Uh, you're getting a, a young asset for a free agent um, that you signed as kind of more of an insurance policy for your young running back. You find out, well, honestly, Chubb should be a better back. He's more explosive than Hyde coming out of the backfield. Um, uh, what this to me indicates is that there's just not a a real market for running backs and trades. I mean, you, you've noticed Bell's been out there for weeks now. Nobody's traded for him. I don't think anybody will trade for him just because the asking price will be so high. I, I think a fifth is about as good as you can get for a running back now. And if you have an asset that you think is holding back another asset, might as well get something for it in the long run. I don't think this is something that hurts your offense. In fact, it maybe what it does is it helps your offense, frees up a little cap space down the road. So I don't hate the decision, um, especially considering you're you're not going to win it all this year. You're probably not making the playoffs. Let's get our young guys some some reps. All right, we got a break. Keep the text coming into the Better You Today text line five five three zero five. Remember, fantasy questions nine thirty. Text them in to the text line as well five five three zero five. Coming up next. If the playoffs started today, there'd be some interesting teams in the playoffs. Mm. Which one of these teams do you like the most at this point? We'll get to that next here on The Fan. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 